Good morning. Yeah. Sorry about that. A little extended, um, yeah, conversations, and that was good for y'all. Um, well, my name, if y'all don't know me, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, pastor Kanan is usually our uh, main uh, speaking pastor. Uh, I get the opportunity to continue our series in First Peter. Uh, we are... Um, we are the title of this whole series uh, is called Living as Exiles, which is a typical theme when, when somebody's preaching through First Peter. Uh, but uh, it was something that it, it was pretty clear in, in chapter two of First Peter uh, that it, this is what this uh, book is all about. It's about uh, as uh, men and women of God living in a place that's not our home. Uh, so we're exiles. Uh, we, we're, we're not from here, but uh, our home is in heaven. And so there's, uh, there's two things that's going on when Peter writes this, and he, he mentions that these people at exile. Two things are happening. They're literal exiles because they have been kicked out of their family's home. They've been kicked out of maybe their town uh, uh, because of extreme persecution. So there's literal exile, but he's also using that same um, thought to, to communicate that they're exiles here on this earth, living as exiles. And so uh, who's writing this book? Well, self-titled Peter. Peter is, well, not self-titled, I shouldn't have said that, but titled Peter. Uh, Peter is writing uh, as one of the uh, leaders of the first century church. Uh, so he, was, he walked with Jesus. He was one of the 12. Uh, when you named the 12 disciples, Peter's in there. And not only was he one of the 12, but he's one of the three. So, so he was one of the, that inner circle of the inner circle that Jesus hung out with. So when they went to the garden, Peter was there. When they went to the top of the uh, mountain of transfiguration, he was there. So he was intimately involved. So he, he saw uh, uh, the, the mistrial of Jesus. So he, he witnessed some of the false accusations of, of Jesus and watched him uh, be wrongly accused and then uh, be uh, killed. And, and, and so uh, Peter also, after Jesus' death, uh, faced the same people that he saw um, uh, or, or kill Jesus. So he was face to face with Caiaphas and, and, and the other religious leaders that were questioning Jesus. Now they're questioning him. So he understands what persecution looks like because he saw it with Jesus and then he was persecuted. Uh, there's a few stories in Acts where uh, Peter and John go to the temple, they heal a man. Well, they go, they go to trial because of healing a person on the Sabbath. They, they go to trial for doing something, proclaiming Jesus. So he is connected with this understanding of persecution. Well, this first century church that, uh, that he's writing to is facing this type of persecution. And I keep saying this in my introduction, but y'all gonna get it at some point. I, I just wanna say this so you can understand that this book is written to a people who are lost their immediate family. So their persecution is not necessarily they're being flogged and killed or, or anything like that. It, it, it is that also, but their main persecution is they're losing their jobs. Uh, they're, they're, they're losing family members, friendships that they have had forever gone in an instant. So everything that, that, that this culture usually hangs on is what? The patriarchal system where you are in this family, so you're protected by this family, right? 
Well, if you get kicked out of the, that system, you're exiled, right? You're, you're, you're out of that, that family structure, that, that, that security system that you had. And, and so these are the type of people that he's writing to. So when he talks about persecution, guess what? You and I can relate because sometimes we look at this and we think about persecution. And we're like, no, nah, I can't relate. That's only Afghanistan. That's only China. That's only places in, in, in other countries that uh, we, we, we don't understand persecution. No, we, 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 we somewhat understand some of this persecution because we can relate. When we became a Christian, some things changed, right? And our family structure and our family dynamic. Uh, the people, our friendships might have changed some. We might have kept those friends, but they kind of started kind of backing off of us a little bit. Maybe our parents uh, uh, thought that, man, that, you know, this Christianity got you going, you know, acting weird. Uh, I, uh, or things like that. Th these are small things, but these things hurt, right? Family members, right? And, and that's mostly what they are facing. So today, uh, we actually are in the second chapter after seven sermons. We're actually in the second chapter of First Peter. So if you want to go turn there right now, uh, chapter two, and uh, these, these 10 verses that we're going to talk about today is going to continue this idea of, of really kind of communicating our identity as believers, uh, communicating our identity as believers in the midst of what? Persecution in the midst of, of, a, of, a, of a place that this is really not even our home. So how do we respond? It's funny that Peter is, 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 is not telling them, hey, everything's going to be okay. You know, um, you know just, just hang tight. No, he's doubling down on them. You, you're going to see he's kind of doubling down on this Jesus thing. He's not saying back off this Jesus thing. He's saying, go even deeper, lean in even more to, 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 to the promises of God and who Jesus is. And so uh, before I, I read this, let's pray and then just ask God to uh, really open up our eyes and hearts to, to, to this message this morning. So let's pray. God, um, yeah, I, I feel myself going 100 miles per hour right now. And it's really good to just slow down and just to remember why we're here. God, we're not here to learn a bunch of different new facts about, about you. We're not here to learn a bunch of different um, stories from the Bible or even history lessons. But, that's not the main reason we're here. We're praying that history points us to you and, and, and causes us to be intimately connected with who you are. We're praying that the word of God and the things that we learn actually change the way we think and see you. Our prayer is that a sermon would not just educate us, but would change the way we know you. That we would know you more, we would see you better. Our faith in you, our dependence with you would, would grow this morning. That's what we're asking for in this time. Not just something that would soothe us uh, for a day or two or get us through the week, but would change us. God, meet us where we are.
I'm going to preach one message, but meet every individual right where they are in the seat that they're in. I thank you that, that we didn't have to come in here and get ourselves right first before we came in this morning. Thank you that you're going to use us right where we are. And you're going to meet us as we, as we draw near to you. You're going to draw near to us. So, God, I, I surrender to your spirit, God. Teach me. Lead me. Use me. And, God, I pray for the people that, who are listening that they would hear and that you would do a work in their hearts and lives, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. If you're a youth here and you have your, um, your clipboard, um, that, that is what the main verse is. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. So let's read. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen, an honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and, the, and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they dis disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is Peter doubling down on this Jesus thing. This is him calling us to rid ourselves of what? Malice, hypocrisy, envy, deceit, slander. So he's saying that, that I don't think there's an indictment specifically on this, these people, this church. I think it's pretty general, right? Right? Pretty general for us, dealing with malice. So everybody in here deals with malice, except me, right? right? No, well, no, everybody deals with malice. Everybody deals with this, 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 this idea of envy. We see something that we want, and we say, I wish I had that. And, and in fact, I wish they didn't have it that way I'm just like them. Or I, I wish I had it, and they didn't have it. So, so, so our, this evil that he's speaking of, what does he say? Rid yourself of this. Rid yourself of it. Uh, laying it aside. Set yourself apart 
from this type of thinking. That's what he's calling us to. So how do we do this? It's intentional. It's an intentional act that we have to go through. An exercise, just like you exercise in a gym. An exercise when malice creeps up. We learn to pray in those moments, believing that God's being obedient to God in that moment is better. Believing rather than malice to pray that our hearts would be, be, be forgiving towards those people. Remember, these are persecuted people. Do you think they're dealing with some malice? Do you think they see that person who, who, who overtaxed them, overcharged them, to kick them out of the house? Do you think they, they're dealing with a little bit of, they want revenge. They want justice in this moment, right? In those, in, the, in those moments, Peter says to them, hey, I understand how you feel. That's natural. You're good. Don't worry about that. No, he says, rid yourself of it. Set yourself apart from this type of attitude and anger. This type of evil is not to be of the believer. He's doubling down. If these people have never tasted and seen God, this is the time to run when Peter goes in this deep, when he gets personal, right? He gets into your business. How'd you know I was mad at that guy? How'd you know I, I wish that car would hit him? How'd you know? How'd you know this? This is getting really personal now. Get rid of all malice, deceit. He's talking about when us as believers are talking and we're, we slightly change the story to what? To make us look like what? The hero in the story. He's talking about the deceit that we, that, we, that we do as a church and we put ourselves on Instagram and we say, look at all the good that we're, it's just a little slight little deceit to, to, to make someone think something that's really not true. He's saying, separate yourself from these type of things. Keep yourself away from these things because that is not of us. That is not the believer. The believer is one who trusts that if I tell the truth rather than deceive, if I, if I, if I speak and it, and it kind of makes me look like, like not the hero and, 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 it, and it didn't come out exactly the way it was supposed to come, then I can trust God in that moment that I'm satisfied. Rather than wanting, wanting their approval, uh, the, the, the neighborhood's approval or, 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 or my wife's approval or, or whoever's approval in that moment that I need to slightly change the story, to skew the story to make myself look better. He says, get rid of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy. Man, we, we see this all the time. When we think hypocrisy, who do we think about in the Bible? Pharisees, Sadducees, right? We think about them, right? But guys, do you realize that this is a real thing? Or here, here, here's one time we always hear hypocrisy or, or hypocrite. We say, or, or people say, we, we, we hear unbelievers saying, it's only hypocrites in the church, right? Or that pastor's a hypocrite. And, and that term, they're defining it correctly, like in, in, in those terms. But I think they kind of, they're, they're kind of shifting what this word really is trying to, uh, intending to, to communicate. 
it's talking really more about who we perform to be, right? Like our performance, right, in the midst of, 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 of a people that we want to like us, right? So, so we, we, we tell stories that make us look good, or we, we shoot stuff on Instagram or Facebook that make us look a certain way. And so we're what? We're playing a character, I would say. So hypocrisy is more about playing a character, playing some type of role that you guys think I need to be playing so that, that y'all like me, right? right? I'm a pastor, so this is what I need to look like and sound like and act like. This is, who I, this is how my children need to be, right? This is the school, right? Hypocrisy is a character you're playing. And he's saying, rid yourself of this type of attitude, character building, or, or, or performance, right? I'm performing a certain way to make you believe me to be somebody I'm not. That's hypocrisy. He's saying, just be exactly who you are, and that is exactly how I'm going to use you. You do not have to be somebody that you're not. You do not have to be uh, what, what people want you to be. We have this idea, we have this idea that we need to be who other people like us to be. And we've done it so much, even when it's that moment that, that, that we need to change it, we don't want to change it. Why? Because it's comfortable playing this role. Have you heard of, 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 of like these movie stars that they, they play their role so hard, like Denzel or Malcolm X? I don't know if y'all seen that. But he played it so hard that it was hard for us and for, uh, for him to come out of that role after months of playing that role. Right? We've, we've already heard of the, the guy, in the, the Joker, who played the Joker. Help me. Heath Ledger. We, we know why some of what he went through and committed, ended up committing suicide. We know where some of that came from. It came from playing that role of the Joker. He couldn't come out of it because he was comfortable there. Guys, we have played the role of Christianity so long. We've played this role. We talk a certain way. We act a certain way. We, we pray prayers a certain way. We've been playing that role so long. He's like, that is... He said, rid yourself of that type of behavior, that type of attitude. Why? Because that doesn't get you to me. That doesn't comfort you in the midst of persecution. That doesn't help you draw closer to me. Man, I can spend some time on that, but let's go to verse two. All right, like. Okay, so, so here, here's, so he's saying, rid yourself of this. Here's what he, he wants you to do. He says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. Like newborn infants. Have you seen an infant always wanting milk? They're either eating milk, thinking about milk, are dreaming about milk, right? Infants, why? Because they know that that is where they're gonna grow, right? That's where their nourishment is coming from. That's where their, their health and strength is gonna come from. If they don't eat, they don't survive. He's saying, Peter's saying, if you want to not only rid yourself of this, go 
and, and desire the pure milk of the word. Like newborn infants desire it, want it, read it, know it, live in it. That you what? Grow up into your salvation. Not grow to be saved for your salvation. Grow into the salvation that you already have. You're not trying to gain salvation by reading the word and being soaked and immersed in the truth of God's word. You're trying to be who God called you to be, right? Who he saved you to, right? Ephesians 2.10 says, I have created them that they may do good works and glorify me. I created, I molded and shaped you to glorify me. And he's saying, grow up into this. Grow up into your purpose. Grow up into your purpose in life. That you may be find yourself in those moments, in the midst of all the persecution, find yourself complete and satisfied and okay. It says, like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Have you tasted that the Lord is good? How are we going to rid ourselves from these things? How are we going to walk in his truth or how are we going to desire the pure milk of the word? Well, if we've tasted it. If we've tasted in salvation the goodness and the mercy of God when you were when you were away from God, when you weren't even thinking about God, his mercy came to you. Have you tasted that mercy? Have you tasted that grace? Have you have you felt what that feels like to be forgiven even though you didn't deserve it? He's saying that is where I want you. That's where I want your mind. That's where I want your heart. If you've tasted, then you'll you'll continue to reach into my word and and to know me. One of my favorite scriptures is 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 in Psalm uh, Psalm one nineteen. Psalm one nineteen that just that whole book, but but specifically one through sixteen. Or actually, let me, let me read uh, uh, one other one. He said Psalm one nineteen one o three. It says, how sweet your word is to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Is his word sweet in the morning? When he when he gives you that word in your in your Bible plan, you're reading through your Bible plan and just so happen. There's a word that is so sweet and so comforting. That you need it. You don't even have to search for it. You just need to follow your Bible plan and it's always there, right? You don't even got to go reaching for it and searching for it. Read that what's in front of you. And his word is so sweet. Psalm 119, I'm reading just a few verses. It says, how happy are those who, who, uh, whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instructions. Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with their all their heart. 
They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. His word, his precepts, his commands, the things that he's told us to do, he's saying, he's saying there is a, a fulfillment. There's happiness in that. What about the persecution? That's still there. <laughs> That's still there. He's just talking about the fulfillment that you were meant for. You're exiles, remember? This is what you were meant for, for, and you can only find it in my word. So if we're not reading our word, Christianity is pretty tasteless right now. Pretty tasteless. If, if, I, if we're not intimately connected with the word on a daily basis, weekly basis, month, if, if we're not intimately connected with the word, this is a very tasteless Christianity. Rid ourselves, rid ourselves from these things, but pursue his word, desire it like an infant wants milk. Verse four, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You yourselves, a living stone. Not only is, is, is Jesus, it says Jesus is that living stone. In verse 4, it says, as you come to him, a living stone. Why? Because he's not dead. He's alive. He's active in our lives. This is one who, 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 who is the cornerstone, the Bible says. Cornerstone, meaning, meaning if, if, if this cornerstone is not put in place, all the walls are out of place. All the walls are out of place. The cornerstone is so foundational that nothing works without it. I think about the parable of, of, of them building on sand, right? Right? They built on sand and it gets destroyed. The, when the winds come and the, they blow and, and then the, the, the house is destroyed. Because the foundation of it was not right. The foundation of it was faulty. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people but chosen and honored by God. Rejected by people, rejected by everybody, but honored by I'll take it. Honored by God. I'll take that one. Right? This was Jesus. Verse 5. You yourselves as living stones. Jesus lives in us. Alive. In us. Cornerstone Jesus. Everybody. We are the church. Canaan, Pastor Canaan said that two weeks ago, right? He says, the church gathers here in this building. The church isn't this building. Right? We are being built on this foundation who is Jesus Christ. He is our cornerstone. He is our foundation to, to know where, where our walls need to be, be placed, which direction we need to go. We know this because of the cornerstone, which is Jesus. Our church means nothing if it doesn't have the cornerstone. Our church is just another place to gather, to hang out, if Jesus is not the cornerstone of this place of pillar church. 
spiritual house are being built to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. The, the Bible says that, that if, if I had desired burnt offerings or I had desired an animal sacrifice, I would have taken it. What does he desire? Our obedience. First, Peter is saying to them who are being persecuted in the midst of your persecution, I desire for you to be obedient to me. He's doubling down. He's not backing off. It hurts. This is hard. This is heavy. I've lost family members. I've lost people. People have disowned me. People have, have, have let me down. He said, in the midst of that, be obedient. What do we do when it hurts? Continue to trust. Continue to obey him. Spiritual sacrifices. What is a spiritual sacrifice? We are the priest, it says. He, 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 he's, he's made us, the church, the, the new priest. The priests were, were the ones that, that the people brought their, uh, their confession to, and they were bringing an animal to sacrifice uh, on the altar. But he's saying that we're, we're, we're those priests now. We're the priests that offer sacrifices. New Testament, those who, who, are, who are born again believers, we are called to be priests. Spiritual sacrifice for us would look, look, look like offering justice in our daily context. When we, when we, when we fight for justice daily, is a spiritual sacrifice. It's not meant for us to look good when we seek justice, right? It's for people to be pointed to the love and graciousness of God. A spiritual sacrifice for us would look like kindness to our children. And, 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 and that, that kindness to our children is directly related to our desire to honor God. We're priests. We're priests and we offer spiritual sacrifices when we taste and know that the Lord is good. And out of that comes pillar church. We decide to plant a church. That's a spiritual sacrifice. Out of that, we decide to, 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 to go to work in the morning instead of lay in bed. We're offering a spiritual sacrifice because that, 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 that desire, that desire to take care of my family and to take care of my kids and to and to not be lazy that desire came from what a tasting of God's mercy and his love so I'm offering spiritual sacrifices on a daily basis in a daily context offering spiritual sacrifices spiritual sacrifice and in, in living in a direct obedience to God because you have tasted that the Lord is good Verse six, for it stands in scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion and a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. The, the world wants to tell us that, it, that 
you're sh- it's, it's shameful to believe in Christ because look at the situation he has you in. It, it's, a sh- it's shameful. Shame is not what we experience when we live in obedience to God. That's not what we feel. That's what people on the outside think we should feel. But that's not our experience. Our experience is not shame. Our intimacy and our our daily walk in in, in God is not shame. Do not ever let anybody convince you that it's shame. When we believe the emotion that that, that comes in is is not shame, but confidence. It's actually a a strong confidence, a quiet confidence in God in the midst of, of, of unanswered prayer that would not quite answer prayer. It's, it's, a, it's a quiet confidence in God. When we take risk in life for him and solely for him, shame is not what we feel, but fulfillment from living in obedience to him. Your commandments are delight. Psalm, Psalm 19, uh, 119, 143 says, trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are what? My delight. It's not shame. Not shame. Shame is what the unbeliever feels at the end of their day. The, the, the person who, who decides to, to ignore Jesus, the cornerstone of their life. Shame is what they feel after building such massive temples, massive uh, businesses, and massive amounts of wealth. Shame is what they feel. And they feel these shame, this shame in the in in these moments, these pockets of their life when they've built all this stuff and it still doesn't do anything and they're unfulfilled. That is the shame. That's the shame that they feel. It's a stumbling block. Jesus is a stumbling block for the unbeliever. Verse seven, so honor will come to you who believe but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builder rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. Verse nine. Verse nine. But you are a chosen race. This is beautiful. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're a chosen race, okay? Couple phrases, chosen race. That's one people. He's talking about everybody in this building, white, black, Hispanic, young, old, low bank account, low bank account, high bank account, wherever you are, he's saying you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's still talking about one people right now. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, one group, not individually different groups because y'all 
sing different at this church and this church, and, you know, swings contemporary and this one sings gospel. No, he's saying one group. Believers in Christ are one, one race, a royal priesthood, all priests, a holy nation. Beautiful, a people for his possession. So that you may proclaim the praises. Why? So that you can proclaim the praises. He's, he's not asking for, for this priesthood to all look alike or sound alike or act alike. He's taking people with different hobbies and different likes and dislikes and opinions. And he's bringing them all together to become a royal priesthood. To proclaim his praises. We're not asking you to come into this church and, 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 and all of a sudden you, to act a certain way because you, you come here. We're asking you to have your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and let us love you right where you are. Let us love each other right where we are. Let us be intentional about loving each other right where we are, right? Well, I don't believe this. Well, that's the person I want you to draw near to. Well, he doesn't believe or she doesn't do this. And, and you know, she voted for him and, and they voted for him and they got. That's the person. In our context that we're going to have to draw to because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He is what? Building. We are building on his foundation. We're building on his foundation. And guess what? He chose us. So he needs every piece of this puzzle. <laughs> every piece of this puzzle. So that you may proclaim his praises. Believe that. Believe and know that that is how he he shows himself gracious, shows himself great. Of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Guys, it is a danger to not remember his mercy. It is a danger to not remember his mercy. Once you were not a people. But now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why is he reminding you of this? The person who has been forgiven much. Forgives and loves. When we remember where we came from, we understand that we're no better than the person on the side of us. The person that that lacks that 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 lacks some type of, you know, uh, social skills that we want them to have and 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 lacks uh, maybe some of the, the 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 education that you had that doesn't talk near like you so much. We, we we when we know where we came from, we realize. That person's on the same plane as me. It is we got to know and remember where we came from. So he he pushes it in. He says, once you were not a people, he could have just left it at that. He said, but now you are a God's people. And then he, he, he says, 
you had not received mercy. Well, you said that when you said we weren't a people. Why you said? No, he, he is really trying to communicate this. You were once in darkness. You, God came and got you out of the darkness. You didn't make your way to the light. You didn't see your way to the light. When we, when we understand that it was his mercy, we become people of mercy. The moment we forget about mercy, we become, we're, we're, we're the hero. Tony Evans tells a story, Linda, you probably have heard this. We, I don't even know the complete story, but a turtle ends up on the fence. And the first day he's like, I, okay, how did I get here? He's like, man, I can see everywhere. He looks around, he's like, whoa, man, this is cool. And he's like teasing the other turtles on the ground, like, man, I got, look, I got this, all this view. And, and I can see so much. Not realizing he's a turtle. How in the heck you got on a fence? <laughs> he didn't get himself there. But he forgot where he came from. Right? So that's what, when we, when we forget, when we forget that we didn't put ourselves on that fence. We didn't put ourselves in this position to see and know him. He came to us and showed his love towards us while we were yet sinners. So Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We proclaim. We proclaim him. And we, 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 we praise him in our daily life when we remember his mercies. Let's pray. God, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us and teaching me so much. So many things I <laughs> didn't plan on saying because I, I guess you were still teaching me things just now. And so I'm so thankful for that. So God, help us not to just be hearers of your word, but doers. May we rid ourselves of these evils like malice and deceit and envy and hypocrisy and, and slander. Didn't even get to that one. God, I, I pray that you would rid of us, of us of these things because we believe that you're better than trying to move other people down so that we, can, <clears throat> that we can get higher. I pray that that is not a temptation for us because you're better and we know you're better. That we don't try to skew the truth so that we look like the hero, God. I pray that we're careful about that. How? Be that because we know that living in obedience and love and kindness that you've called us to is better than malice and deceit and envy. God, help us here at 
this church to be your priest, your royal priesthood that give daily spiritual sacrifices. Our whole day is a spiritual sacrifice because we've surrendered ourselves to you. Every, every act is a, is, a, is a spiritual sacrifice to sing praises, to, 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 to bring praises to you, to bring glory to you. God, thank you, God. Thank you for your spirit that doesn't leave us alone, but, but help us walk in this truth. Help us to walk in this spirit as we seek to rid ourselves and then seek to be your priest on a daily basis to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers. Be these people who have, have received mercy and now are proclaiming mercy. Thank you. In Jesus' name.